Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast, the premier provider of leadership consulting, culture shaping, and senior level executive search services. Every day, we're privileged to talk with fascinating people who are shaping the future through their leadership and vision. Each episode, you'll hear a different perspective from thought leaders and innovators. Thanks for listening to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hi, this is uh, David Ho, a partner in Hydric and Struggles Hong Kong office. In today's podcast, Transforming with Agility, Leading with Purpose, I will be talking to Nick Lai, CEO of Hong Kong Broadband. Prior to joining Hong Kong Broadband, Nick was an analyst and the director and head of Asia Telecom Research for Credit Suisse. Nick joined Hong Kong Broadband in 2004 and was named CFO of the Year by Finance Asia in 2016. Nick, um, welcome and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. Hong Kong Broadband was founded in 1999, um, yet in less than 20 years, it has emerged as one of the top players in the telecom industry in Hong Kong, with a revenue of uh, over 3 billion Hong Kong dollars in financial year 17, 2017. What's the secret recipe for Hong Kong broadband success in an industry that's notorious for its cutthroat competition? Our approach is that we look at life in a different way because we didn't come from the telecom industry. Our founders were computer people. So we have to disrupt the industry because we don't know how to, to play by the rules. We don't have a legacy, so we start everything from scratch and we use what is appropriate for the times. Nick, we see a lot of companies, and our research has shown us um, in the last few years that have, have transformed their businesses and, and have really accelerated away from their old markets and old competitors. Um, research shows that what these successful companies have done is make a transformation as an outsider and essentially change the nature of the business that they compete in. How does that apply to Hong Kong broadband? That's exactly what we do. Uh, we have a term in our company called legal unfair competitive advantage. So every time we look at a new venture, we ask, what is our lucre? How can we change the industry upside down? Somebody asked uh, me once, what's beyond people? What's our competitive advantage? And my answer is nothing. We are far smaller than the incumbent. We buy the same equipment from the same telecom vendors as the incumbent, and they have far more money than, than us. So what else is there to be different? And I think it's our people and our mindset that makes us disruptive. You know, we hear a lot about talent being really important and talent being the competitive edge. You know, we hear about the term war for talent. Um, I personally know talent is very important to Hong Kong Broadband and the management team. Can you can you explain a bit about how you view talent? Well, talent is core. I mean, beyond the feel-good factor, if economically, if you look at uh, the cost base of our company, the single largest cost base we have in the company is our people. 45 cents in every dollar that we earn goes to people expenses. And that's about 2x our next biggest expenditure, which is CapEx. Mm. We may look like a telecom company, but we are in fact a people company. Even the way you refer to, to your people, your, your staff, I mean, uh, I know you have a whole vocabulary around talent and, 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 and your teams. I mean, can you talk us a bit through that? Because I know it's quite unusual. Yes, in our company, we don't have any staff. We only have talents. Now, I believe there's a, a strong sense of um, what you call it, affirmative labeling. You become what you're labeled. If I call you a staff, what does that bring up in your mind? To me, a staff means someone who does 
you know, get paid by the hour and do as they're told. Whereas you've got someone a talent. A talent sounds like you're pretty good looking, you're smart, you can think on your own. You know, it's a talent. It's something that is unique. And we have three thousand unique talents. So everyone in the company is referred to as talent. Yes, because if you don't make it, we ask you to leave. We do have a five percent exit rule.、Mm. So what remains are talents. So it's it's quite a tough culture in that sense. We believe in the extremes. We call it kiss and kiss, the, the two extremes. We're far more harsh and we're far more generous, and that's how we intend to move the bell curve. If you look at the bell curve, we jettison the bottom five percent and we super reward the top ten percent. And through kiss and kiss,、uh, kiss and kick, we hope to move the whole、uh, normal distribution curve towards the performance side. And so, when you're looking at sort of recruiting talent and developing your talents, talk us through some of the principles. I mean, it it sounds like it's sort of you know almost cultish to a certain extent. I wouldn't say cultish, but it's certainly distinct.、Mm. Our culture is something that we want you to either love or hate. But never become indifferent about it.、Mm. I think a lot of large companies,、uh, most people are indifferent about that company, but ours is distinct. We always say we are an elite sports team. We are not a family.、Uh, it takes a certain high performance, high conviction in yourself and the company to join our、uh, to to thrive in our company. Some of our unique selling points: when you join our company for a senior executive, we ask, would you like to put one year salary, about five years savings, up front? To invest in yourself and in our company when you join, so if you have the conviction, this is a great value proposition because we'll give you, you know,、uh, preferential terms. But you write us a check when you join. Now, I think that is a very, very strong filter on the way in. When you come in, we tell you we fire the bottom five percent upfront. No, we tell you upfront that we fire the bottom five percent. The wrong kind of people will worry about falling into this five five percent. The right kind of high performance mindset will think, well, I have a ninety-five percent buffer.、Mm. So it's that kind of mindset, and that's how we screen people even before they come into the company. And so, you know, you you I've heard you use this term a lot of、uh, being a co-owner,、um, which is a an, a manifestation, I suppose, of people having bought into the business. Can you talk a bit about that? Because, you know, in in the last twenty thirty years, people talk about. Alignment of shareholders and employees,、um, and using shares and incentive schemes like that. But、uh, the co-ownership scheme seems to go a little bit further than that. Yes, very much so. Because actually, we I have a history of working for you know, half a dozen companies,、uh, almost half a dozen companies before joining this company. And what we try and do is take the worst practices of other large companies and do the reverse. So a couple of key points here is. We think alignment and ownership can only come from.、Uh, has to be purchased by you. It cannot be given to you. It cannot be enforced on you.、It、cannot be set in terms of KPIs. You have to want it. You have to buy it. So that's why our co-ownership. If you want the title on your name card, which our three hundred and fifty co-owners have, you have to write the company a check. It's not a stock option. It's not part of your year-end bonus. We pay cash. You write us a check. You show conviction in us. We show conviction in you, and that's when true alignment happens. Think about this. I've seen. I've been. I myself have been in many examples when we have a town hall meeting and the CEO comes out and says, "Let's increase、uh, EBITDA by fifteen percent in the coming year." The majority of the audience don't even know what EBITDA stands for. Why do you want to increase it by fifteen percent? 
But if you're a co-owner, it's very different. Then we start talking about, let's increase the value of our company by 15% and the value of your holdings in it. Yeah, I mean, we, we hear a lot about um, share ownership and alignment, but I, I see that this co-ownership is something that's obviously very important to the firm. Um, and, and you know, talk us through a bit sort of how it's been received and, and what, what the actual um, impact on co-ownership for uh, your talents has been. We have an aspiration. Actually, we have not only an aspiration, we have a track record and aspiration to mint the highest number of Hong Kong dollar millionaires uh, there is. And we have already achieved that within the Hong Kong te uh, telecom sector. When we transitioned from a management buyout to an IPO between 2007, uh, 2012 and 2015, we've made, I would guess, about 50 Hong Kong millionaires. Hong Kong dollar millionaires. Hong Kong dollar millionaires, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a big, in, uh, that's a big life-changing event for the working class. When I say uh, Hong Kong dollar millionaire, I'm not talking about for senior executives. I'm talking about for the working um, uh, supervising above type level. People who are earning maybe 30, 40,000 Hong Kong dollars a month, making a million dollars over by equity upside. Yeah. So in, in real money terms, that's someone making, say, 50,000 uh, US dollars a year. Yes. Um, and you're making them sort of a, a, a Hong Kong dollar millionaire within a, a fairly short period yeah, of time. Yeah, 150,000 in net savings in a bank account. Mm. Now, what does that get you? That means that you can start thinking about looking after your kids should they need to go overseas. Mm. It means that if your parents get sick, you can look after your parents or maybe chipping on five years off your mortgage or something like that. These are material life-changing events that would be very, very difficult if you're just average working class in if Hong you're Kong. Just a member of staff, basically, yes. yeah. So this leads into um, a question of purpose. And we hear a lot about companies today um, having to have a purpose and the millennial generation only wanting to work in a purpose-led organization. Um, Hong Kong Broadband has a does have a purpose. Um, it's an unusual purpose. Uh, talk us through the purpose. Our core corporate purpose is to make our Hong Kong a better place to live. Now, sometimes I snicker at this because it sounds like a Michael Jackson chorus line. But for us, it's something that we've actually been living since the beginning of our company. I think a core purpose is not a slogan. It's not a tagline that you come up with. It's something that has to be, you're already acting upon it and that you will continue to accentuate going forward. For example, our company started by providing broadband to the public housing, the poorest segments of Hong Kong first. And we grew our market share starting from that base uh, into the more affluent areas of Hong Kong. We made it possible for poor people in Hong Kong to get rocket fast internet. And that's the heritage of our company. Mm -hmm. And that continues to drive us today. Mm -hmm. We wanna make, uh, we wanna narrow the wealth distribution gap in Hong Kong, starting by the people in our company through the co-ownership structure. We want to uh, narrow the education gap by providing you know, education opportunities throughout different layers of our company. So rather than sit back and complain about the issues facing our society, we want to do something about it and make our Hong Kong a better place to, do, uh, to live. Nick, we've uh, talked a lot about culture in the firm for the co-owners. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis for the average talent working in uh, Hong Kong broadband, um, talk us through some of the um, more unusual parts of their 
working day. Well, the end objective that we want, whether no matter what seniority level or it, it, actually, especially for the most junior people, we want you when you walk around Hong Kong and you see your HKBN manhole cover on the street, you want to stand there with your family and take a selfie and be proud of it. That's how deep we want to drive the culture. You're proud of it because people you know, give compliments to us uh, for our service and you take pride in it. If they complain about us, you, you do something about it. It's that sense of ownership. So ownership is not restricted to just economic co-ownership. It's ownership throughout the ranks. It's ownership of purpose. Ownership of purpose. So it doesn't take money to own, make our Hong Kong a better place to live. In our company, we believe work-life balance is a fallacy. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as work-life balance. In our company, we run with life-work priority. Life comes before work because family is more important than the company, uh, and that's a full stop. We offer 37 more workday leaves in a typical year than a normal Hong Kong company. 37 uh, days less in a normal Hong Kong company that works uh, 247 days a year. Uh, we do that because we want to prioritize life. Now, if you're a talent and you appreciate life, we are a fantastic company to work for. If you don't appreciate life, then go join a normal company. This is what we mean by either love or hate our company. Now, does that mean we are far less productive? No, we still have the same stretch targets as a normal company, but we have to get there faster, smarter. I think the implication from that is that there's a lot of trust in the organization, in people. Um, you know, the takeaway would be if you are giving more days of annual leave, essentially, to uh, your, your, your talents than other companies, but expecting the overall performance to be as good as, if not better, then to, to, to me, as an outsider, that would be an implication that you trust that they will get it done. And the issue is less about how they get it done in the formal structure of nine to five, rather than if you get it done quickly, then you should be allowed to take a benefit from getting it done quickly. Exactly. It comes back, it's all central, it comes back to the alignment, right? We put our family life savings into the co-ownership of the, the company. Mm. That value of the co-ownership, the share, the long-term value of the company in terms of share price is what drives us. It's not how many hours we work this year. Mm. It's where the value of the company three, four years out from now. And you know, the natural question someone asks you, would ask you with that kind of vision or purpose is, you know, how does the management team maintain a balance between those very virtuous um, purposes or outcomes that you want versus what other people say living in the real world and, and the need for profit, the need for revenue? Actually, we very much live in the real world, but uh, we don't balance. We just have a simple priority. Mm. It's purpose first. Uh, because we think purpose, purpose drives passion. And if you have purpose and passion, profits will flow. Mm. Look at our results. We are an early Hong Kong unicorn. We were founded on uh, 100,000 US dollars 20, uh, 20 odd years ago. And we're now capitalized at over a billion dollars as a public company. We have minted more Hong Kong dollar millionaires than any other telco in Hong Kong, including the incumbent that's 10 times our size. So the numbers speak for themselves, but our priorities are very, very clear. It's purpose, with the right purpose and the right people, that combusts to create passion. And if you have those factors all kind of blended in, profits will follow us. 
Well, listen, Nick. Um, really appreciate um, your your time on this, and it's um, been a clearly an interesting journey for you guys and uh, and girls, obviously. Um, and you've uh, moved the market for your services and your business, and clearly, talent's been the um, a critical part of that success. What, what, what sort of, as a wrap up, would be the last sort of pieces of advice you would give to, to whether it's entrepreneurs um, or business people out there from the lessons you've learned? What would the, the, the one or two things? I think the key, if you're a, a new entrant, look at what the incumbent does and just do the complete opposite. Because you can never out-compete the incumbent do the same thing. and. That's what we found in our industry. Mm. Our other new entrant competitors were basically mini incumbent telcos. Mm. Wannabes. Yes, they typically hire someone, you know, the number four guy from the incumbent and come out and set up a new mini incumbent. That's kind of uh, uh, the, uh, the standard operating procedure. And that never works because when the incumbent wakes up, they're going to do things bigger and stronger than you. Our, you know, our approach is we, we are like a David walking into a room of Goliaths. We're not just fighting one Goliath, we're fighting multiple Goliaths. And if we just jump in there and try and out-wrestle them, we will surely die. But if we attack them from a distance with speed, agility, and accuracy from a distance, they can't touch us. That's what we do. And the people are the core to being agile. Yes. That, the, not just the people, you have to have the, the alignment. It goes back to what we've been talking about. Culture, the purpose, the purpose, culture, yeah. the alignment. And then give people the autonomy to execute in that aligned objective. And just on that final point, purpose and culture, do you think that you, because the purpose is so clear, do you actually think you actually have to do that much cultural work? We hear lots of companies doing cultural workshops, cultural shaping, but often people will say that's because they don't know what their purpose is. I mean, do you spend a lot of time working on culture, do you think? I spend probably 90% of my time on culture because I think um, it may sound simple, but the day-to-day -day execution uh, does require management foresight and management input. When you say 90% on culture, that sounds quite scary. What kind of things would you be doing? For example, our co-ownership uh, program, what we don't want to do is market it internally and get people to have herd mentality and then go in and bet their life savings in. What we go is go into the fundamental depths of understanding the business, understanding the metrics, understanding what drives it and how we can input the metrics. So we want to educate people so that they can make an informed decision. And once they made the informed decision, then the company kind of runs itself. So once we get the co-ownership structure right and executed properly, then the business was run itself. Once everyone's aligned, basically. Yes, yeah. but we have to be very, very careful. That alignment has to be by natural selection. I mean, by self-selection. Self-selection. Not forced upon. You cannot force people to be aligned. Not in the long term. No, no yeah. It, it doesn't. It's just proven that over time, people will just drift away. No, it just everybody's heading in different directions. Nick, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. I appreciate it, and good luck in making Hong Kong a better place. Let's do that together. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn. Twitter or YouTube, 
why not share this with your connections? Until next time.